Well, good morning. Of all the ways that I've ever been introduced and welcomed to the stage, banjo sprinting and pictures of me in t-shirts that are really not mine. Thanks, Sean. I appreciate that. Um, I have been involved with Finish Line Ministries. I've been to Malawi uh, with Sean and their team. They do incredible work, incredible ministry. I hope you'll take the time uh, to get to know Sean uh, and Danette this week. Sean was an incredible high school athlete. Just ask Danette. She'll tell you all about it. She'll tell you all about all of his prowess and everything, all of his, uh, all of his accomplishments. Um, we are going to spend our time this week talking about, um, talking about spiritual warfare. Um, we're going to talk about um, spiritual authority in particular um, this morning, but we're going to spend the majority of our time this week um, in Ephesians chapter 6 talking about God's armor and the spiritual battle that we're involved in. So I'll start off with this idea this morning. We're going to come back to it all week, um, but it's this idea that we are in a battle um, that we cannot win, and it is a battle that God will not lose I'll say that to you again. We're in a battle. It's a battle that we, in and of ourselves, cannot win, but it is also a battle that God cannot lose. And the reason that, that is important to us, I think, um, especially today as we spend our time this morning talking about spiritual authority, um, the reason that's important to us is because the things that we think are our battles and the things that are really our battles, I think are probably pretty different things sometimes. I think sometimes we spend our times fighting battles that aren't real battles because the enemy is really smart and because he gets out ahead of us and knows us so well and the things that we think we're fighting and the things that we really end up fighting are not necessarily always the same, um, always the same thing. Um, we, um, as uh, Hodown mentioned, our youngest daughter uh, was here this summer. We have two older children, so three kids. They range uh, six or so years uh, apart, depending upon what time of year it is. And when our kids were younger, um, they were probably at this time age nine down to age four. Um, my wife's family, um, they live in Memphis, uh, Tennessee. We had been down to Memphis for a visit in the summertime, and we were uh, driving back. It's about a nine, nine and a half hour driver so. So we'd stopped. We got lunch in Bowling Green, Kentucky. We were heading north from there for a few minutes. Uh, the kids were eating lunch. They were kind of, uh, they were kind of settled down. And my wife, um, she just drifted so peacefully off to sleep in the passenger side. And um, I, it, it wasn't like just light sleep. Like it was drooling, mouth open, Rip Van Winkle, right? Sleep. And I was, I was jealous. I'm not going to lie to you. I was, I was jealous. And so I had this thought. I thought, you know what? Um, whenever she wakes up, like, we're going we're gonna to swap, and I'm, I'm going to sleep because I'm, 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 I'm tired. I've been driving. We got up early, whatever. And so she awoke from her hibernation after um, a while, and um, I said, hey, let's swap. So we pulled off the side of the road. We swapped. Um, so she gets in the driver's seat, I'm getting in the passenger seat, I'm getting ready to go off, but all of a sudden, the kids wake up, and they're excited. So I got three kids, the oldest, uh, the oldest one, Sydney, um, she had gotten a CD player for Christmas, and she was listening, she had just been to high school musical, right? And you know, high school musical, one of the songs in there is, Get Your Head in the Game, Right? 
Gotta, gotta get at your head in the game. Gotta, gotta, gotta get your head in the game, head in the game, head in the game, right? Now, we can't hear any of the music because she has all we can hear are the vocals and the fact that she's making the drum beat on her lips. My son uh, in the back, all of a sudden, uh, he, he's hungry, so he uh, just keeps saying uh, to me, chips, candy, juice, chips, candy, juice. And he had this real deep, drawn-out voice as a kid. He had some hearing problems, so he couldn't hear himself talk. He was like, chips, or, chips, candy, juice, dad, chips, candy, juice, dad, chips, candy, juice, dad. That's all I kept hearing. The youngest one, the one of uh, Hoedown reference, Piggy, for some reason, he just started saying the word no. No, no, that's just, she just randomly yelling the word no while I'm trying to go to sleep. So I thought we'll be a little interactive this morning, okay? So you guys can, so you guys can help me, we'll work this out. And by the way, the church that I teach at on, on Sundays at LifePoint is very lively. People yell, amen, they shout, that's right, preach, that's how you get it. And the people who are from LifePoint who are sitting in the room right now are like, no, we don't. <laughs> We do not say those things. Just pretend, okay? Everybody else will play along. No, play along. All right. So you guys are going to be this section in the front and this section in the wing. You're going to be get your head in the game. Got to, got to, got to get your head in the game. Got to, got to get your head in the game with a little pat, right? Let's try it on three. One, two, three. Got to, got to, got to get your head in the game. Got to get, get your head in the game. All right. It's great. Great. Okay. You guys, you two sections are going to be uh, chips, candy, juice, dad, right? Right? Let's try it on three. One, two, three. Chips, candy, juice, dad. Chips, candy, juice, dad. Right. Just keep repeating, Rob. We'll just keep repeating. All right. You guys in the back, I want to give you the easy one. Uh, no. That's all you got to say. Just no. Okay. Wait. One, two, three. No. No. You just got to keep saying it. No. No. Okay. So let's reenact what it was like that day whenever I was wanting to drift off to sleep in the van all three sections at one time, okay? Ready? One, two, three. Come on, come on, come on. That's good. That's what was going on in my van. And I'm not proud to tell you, I lost it. I completely lost my cool. I looked at Angie and I said, hey, we're gonna pull off this next exit. And she went, what? Like, you know, because she's typically, you know, chips, candy, juices, mom, right? That's, typ that's typically how it goes. She's like, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm like, no, we're pulling off next exit. We got to switch back. We're not going to do it. So we get ready to pull off, right, at the next exit. And when we pull off, the kids are like, why are we stopping? Why are we stopping? We're stopping. And I, lo I, I, had lo I was totally over the cliff at that point. And I said, we're leaving you here in Carrollton, Kentucky. <laughs> You'll go to Carrollton, you're going, we're going to leave you, we're dropping you right here at the Carrollton Shell Station. They have plenty of food in the bathroom. You'll be fine. We'll bring you Christmas presents uh, next year whenever we come back at Christmas time. And the kids are like, why do you, and there are moments, aren't there in our lives that we forget who we're fighting with, who we're fighting for, and who we're fighting against. And when it comes to a spiritual perspective in our lives, it is critical that you and I remember who we're fighting with, who we're fighting for, and who it is that we're fighting against. So to start this morning, when we talk about spiritual authority, we're going to start by talking about some of uh, what I think are both the most beautiful and at sometimes the most misinterpreted, confusing uh, words of Jesus, often referred to um, as the invitation of the New Testament. It's Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 
through 30. Jesus says this, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Anybody feel like doing a lot of labor? Anybody feel heavy laden? Here's a promise. And I will give you, what's the next word? Rest. Anybody looking for rest today? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is the only character statement Jesus ever makes about himself in the Gospels. Now, there are times where he says, I am the good shepherd or I am the bread of life. But in terms of character, these are the only two character statements Jesus ever makes about himself. These are the only two words he ever attaches to his character. So that should make them pretty important to you and me. I am gentle and lowly. I am meek and humble. And if our spirituality is not leading us towards gentle and humble, meek and lowly, we've got to ask ourselves the question, what, where, where does it take? What, do I have the wrong source? Am I, on, am I on a different kind of path? For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Why, Jesus? For my yoke is easy. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, whenever these, uh, whenever these verses were taught to me as a kid, I grew up in rural southern uh, Ohio, really closer to West Virginia and Kentucky than I did the, uh, the rest of the state um, in Ohio. And so we always talked about this, or pastors always talked about this from the perspective of a yoke as a piece of farm equipment, right? You've seen a yoke, right? Two loops on the wall at Cracker Barrel at some point, right? You got two oxen, a team. They both stick their, you know, stick their heads in. They lock them up. They team up. So the idea, the way this was taught to uh, me growing up anyway, is that Jesus is on one side. He's one ox, right? You're on the other side and you get in the yoke with Jesus and you two go do the work together. The only problem with that is it's not biblical, right? It's theologically wrong, right? Jesus doesn't need me to do the work, right? He doesn't need me alongside of him, helping him do. No, he does the work and I get to join in the work that that he already does. So why are they using this word? Well, in their culture, uh, a yoke represented uh, a rabbi's teachings about the Torah. The Torah is just first five books of the Bible. You know this, right? Genesis uh, all the way to Deuteronomy. And a yoke represented, that's the word they used for the collective body, the cumulative teachings um, of a rabbi. So every rabbi has got a yoke. So when Jesus says, my yoke, in other words, my, um, my interpretation of the Torah is easy and my burden is light. Now, if you could imagine how that would have hit the, hearers of his first, hit the ears of his first century hearers, because what they had received, the yoke that they had received previously from the Pharisees and from the Sadducees, 630 some odd commandments that they had to give the common person in their day would be like, good grief, 
I'll never get to know God if I got to keep all these rules and remember all these intricacies and back and forth. And so what they had done, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had laid a heavy burden, a heavy yoke that said, unless you can keep all these rules and interpret them the way we interpret them, and unless you do things the way that we do things, here's the reality. You're not going to really get to know God and God's going to oppose you and he's not going to bless you. And the reason that bad things happen to you is because you sin, not like us, because we keep the rules, but you're going to sin. And until you can work your way up, up and become good enough or better enough, you're probably never going to be blessed by God. And so the people carry this heavy, heavy yoke. And so when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, you want rest? Oh, I got, I got your rest. And the people loved him. Now, the reason that you would listen to a rabbi teach is because um, a rabbi was given a, what they called authority, right? In their culture, the word was shmicha. That was the that was the word. So let's say that together on three. Ready? One, two, three. Shmicha. Oh, that was lame. Let's do that again. Ready? One, two, three. Shmicha. Now wipe the person's neck off in front of you, right? Right? Shmicha. That was their word for. Authority. In other words, any rabbi could, you know, could say, well, this is what I think, or this is, but a rabbi was given authority by other rabbis. Deuteronomy 19:15, in the mouth of two witnesses, right? A thing is confirmed. There had to be two former rabbis that would give you authority to teach and for people to listen to you. But when Jesus taught, it was different. Every now and then, maybe once in a lifetime, a rabbi is going to show up. And he's different. And he's got a different yoke. And he's got a different sense of authority. Maybe every now and then a, a different kind of rabbi is going to show up and he's going to say things like, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said this. You've heard 630 some odd rules, that you, but I'm saying something different to you. You get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. It says this, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds, they were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had shmiha, as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. So all of a sudden, the people are like, oh, this makes sense. You have got authority. You've got like some kind of heavenly authority that we're not experiencing in other ways, places, and spaces. You're, not, you're teaching us in a way that feels like it's changing us, not in a way that feels like we're just hearing more information that's becoming, us, uh, that's becoming more difficult for us and driving us further away from God. Somehow, you're teaching us in a way that seems to be drawing us closer to God because you seemingly have authority. Now, that's important because they had all of this information from Torah that they were supposed to believe. Believing the right things is not the same as authority. I'll give you an example. Um, from our uh, national denomination uh, of churches, about 40 years ago, we had a big fight in our denomination. And the big fight was this. There was one group that said Jesus was a really good teacher but not everything in the Bible is accurate and true. 
And on the other side of that coin was the other group that said, yeah, Jesus was a really great teacher, but everything in the Bible is 100% accurate and true, rightly interpreted in our lives. And we fought back and forth. And in American, in the history of American Christianity, when that showdown has come in major denominations, the only time in American Christian history that a denomination has sided with, we believe that the Bible is true. And everything that it says, and Jesus was a great teacher right? That was the only time it's ever gone this way. In every other mainline denomination, it's gone the other way, where we said, yeah, Jesus is a great teacher, but not everything in the Bible, right? It's true. And I want you to know, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't old enough at that time uh, to be in the argument. If I was in the argument, I would have been on this group and then with this group. I agree. I'm grateful for the way the decision went. We believe the right things. We believe the Bible. We, I'm in that group. And I will say, that for all of those of us who are in this group or would have, is to say, we're okay because we believe the right things. Because we have the right doctrine. But believing in the right doctrine and granting Jesus authority in your life are not the same thing. And just because you say, I believe the right doctrine, that doesn't even make you a Christian. There's a lot of people who know Christian doctrine, who know the right things, but haven't granted Jesus authority in their lives. I'll give you just another little example of how this worked out in our group. So this group that said, we, we believe the Bible, they started to, to write curriculum and the curriculum is great. And we would teach people, here's how you share your faith, right? And one of the things that we would teach people in a way to share your faith was that you tried to push people, uh, push, convince, whatever the, whatever the word you want to use, persuade people in a direction by saying to them, hey, what if you died tonight? It was kind of bringing people to this perspective. What if you died tonight? Do you know where you would spend eternity? It's a great question. And it helps people focus on, you know what? There's a reality that I may or may not live tomorrow. But you know what we never taught people to ask? What if you don't die tonight? What if you wake up tomorrow and God grants you another 24 hours in the day? How are you going to live? Someone or something is going to have shmiha in your life. Someone or something has authority, has shmiha in your life right now. And I believe what Jesus is calling us to from Matthew chapter 11 is for you and I to actively say, Jesus, you have authority. What does that mean? That means, Jesus, you can do anything and everything that you want to do. And not just that you want to do. I'm not just putting the, the responsibility on you, but I'm going to partner with you to change in my life to the degree that, we can, that what is manifest from my soul is meekness and humility. Meekness, not weakness, strength under control, right? right? And if that's not being manifest out of my soul, Jesus, that's a problem, and you're not the problem. I'm the problem. 
And this week, we're going to talk all about spiritual warfare, and we're going to talk about the enemy, and we're going to talk about the, the battle, who we're fighting against. But I'll say this to you. A lot of times, I'm the battle. I'm my own worst enemy. And God, I believe, is calling us. He's calling us to give him open-handed authority. Do whatever you want to do. Change me in whatever ways you want to do, because, God, that's the only way I'm ever going to find rest. As long as I'm the one who's managing, <laughs> as long as I'm the one who thinks I'm in one side of the yoke and you're in the other side of the yoke and we're doing this, you know, thing together, what a struggle. It's going to challenge me, just like it challenged the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They constantly tried to pick at Jesus. They constantly tried to find ways to discredit him. And so one day, one day, they all got their heads together. And they realized that no one had ever given him shmiha. They're looking around. They're like, hey, who told him he could be a rabbi? Right in the mouth of two or three, or in the mouth of two witnesses, these things will be confirmed. Dude, Deuteronomy 19.15, I said earlier. Did you do it? Phil, did you do it? Did you give it? Nope. I didn't. Sam, did you do it? Nope. Did anybody in the room tell him he could be a rabbi? No. And they thought, we got him. So Luke chapter 20 Flip over there, Luke chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, tell us by what shmiha, tell us by what authority you do these things or who it is that gave you authority. And here's Jesus' answer, verse 3. And he answered them, I also will ask you a question. Don't you love how Jesus answers a question with a question? I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? They say, Jesus, can you, can you give us the names of the... Of the and Jesus, let me ask you a question. This baptism, the baptism of John, was it heaven or from man? Now, they, that drove them crazy. Like, they all went over and they had to confer about it. They're like, oh, if we say it's from heaven. If we say Why do you think Jesus said that? Was he trying to confuse them? Absolutely. And I think he was answering their question. You remember when the public ministry of Jesus begins, it begins with his baptism. John the Baptist. And what did John the Baptist say about Jesus whenever he saw him coming to be? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? The one whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, to, to loosen. Jesus like, I got one right there, John the Baptist, most well-known prophet in the last 500 years of Israel. There's one. But that's just one. He needs two. Where's he going to get that second one? Remember John the Baptist baptizes Jesus? He comes up out of the water. What happens next? God the Father, voice from heaven, audible, everyone hears it. God says what? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I think Jesus is looking at him saying, I got John the Baptist and God the Father. Who you got? <laughs> Phil and Sam. You got Phil and Sam. I, got, I, think, I think I'm good here, right? Jesus is saying, this authority, is good. it's not given to me by man, it's given to me by heaven. It's conferred upon me to be the spiritual authority in your life. Now, Here's what's 
really dangerous about this. I've got, um, I've got friends, out of town, out of state friends. Young couple, um, they're, they're perfect goal Lakers. If they came here, they believe everything we believe. Church ministry, they've done just about anything and everything you could do, church ministry-wise. Three kids, all shined up, pretty great families, great spiritual legacies. And yet, as their kids have grown up, they've grown distant in their relationship with the Lord, and they've grown distant from one another. And band practice, and soccer practice, Everything else that goes on, families, kids have allowed them as a couple to separate. Not really separate, but just, you know, relationally. And so they're under the same roof and they're in the same house. He's emotionally just dead. Very successful at work, by the way. He's great. Gets things done. When it comes to her, she's flat. So one day she goes into a store. She goes to buy something. Young man in the store comes up to help her, tells her how pretty she is. All of a sudden she finds herself going to that store again. And again. And again. And all of a sudden she begins to develop feelings for the young guy at the store. He finds out about it, and all of a sudden, the guy who was, all of a sudden, he's got lots of feelings about her feelings, about the guy at the store. He's a pastor, so that complicates this thing even more. So they call me, and they say, we need help, and we can't just go to anybody. We can't just, in our town, like, we just can't go to anybody. So what would you say to them? She says, I don't have feelings for him. I can't feel. And he says, she's wrong. And what's, what's reality? They're both wrong. They have a shmiha problem. Because at some point, they stopped saying to Jesus, you have authority in my life. Faith follows Right? Faith follows our relationship with God. I need Jesus just as much today as I did January 21st, 1981, when I came to faith in Christ. Paul told the Galatians, how have you so quickly wandered away? Do you believe that? Do you believe you need Jesus just as much today as you did on the day that you first came to know him? It's a shmiha problem. And we have to yield ourselves to him to the degree that he begins to produce in us what we cannot produce in ourselves. Gentleness and humility. And as we do that, what happens? We raise our level of awareness about the battle that we are in and we see one another the right way. And it's not, listen, this is, it's not like, 
We're the mature Christians and the people who are immature, they need to, no, 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 no. Isn't it interesting that we're talking about the baptism of Jesus this morning? You know, the only other time that God speaks in an audible voice in the life of Jesus is when? Mount of Transfiguration, right? Jesus unzips his glory, right? And we hear a voice from heaven and it says the exact same thing that God said at the baptism, which should speak to our sonship and our daughtership, by the way. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But at the Mount of Transfiguration, something different happens. He attaches three more words. Three more, what does it say? Listen to him. Why do you think God the Father said that? Because we don't listen to him. And isn't it interesting that it's not Phil the Pharisee and Sam the Sadducee that that message comes to? Isn't it interesting? It's not even the 120 that that comes to. It's not, it's not even the 12 that come. Like, it's not like God's trying to get the message across to Judas, right? Oh, well, God's trying to reach you know, immature Judas. Like, no, no, that comes to who? The inner circle. Peter, James, John, best of the best. That's who needs to listen to him. And if they need to listen to him, guess what? You and I need to listen to him. We need to receive the glory of his authority just as much as they did. And because of the kindness of Jesus, leaving heaven, coming to earth, dying on a cross to pay for our sins and being miraculously resurrected on the third day, he said, I have the keys to death hell and the grave he has authority and it is authority that he will release and you're like, Mom, he's getting charismatic up there i'm just telling you what god's word says it is authority that can be released into your life as you receive it and it can change you day by day and it's not one day all of a sudden every my feelings all change. No, no. Feelings follow faith. And as we engage in faith, as we engage in the authority of Jesus, we'll slowly start to change over time. And meekness and humility and love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. God will work those things up from the ground in our souls and grow them in us. And like I said earlier, do in us what we cannot do. So, who or what has shmiha? in your life today. It's not, well, I believe the right things. That's great. I'm glad you believe the right things. But who has authority? What kind of yoke are you carrying today? Here's how we're going to start our week together. We're going to do this in a variety of different ways during uh, teaching this week. But we're going to begin today, um, since we're kind of gathered a larger group, we're going to pray together. And what we're going to do is I'm going to give you three to five minutes to pray together. Dad's going to pray out loud if you're here as a family. Mom's going to pray out loud. Kids, you're going to pray out loud. 
as a group, I'm going to give you the time, Dad, for you to pray, to welcome God's shmiha authority into your life and into your family. Mom, I'm going to give you the time to pray God's authority into your family, into your marriage, into your parenting with your children. And then kids, I want you to take the opportunity to pray for your mom and for your dad, for the strength of their marriage and the strength of your family into the future, okay? Now, you're here as a family, that works. If you're here um, as a single person and you don't have family with you, um, Angie and I are up here, we would be more than happy uh, to pray with you if you would like to come uh, and, uh, and to pray uh, with us, okay? Ready? Nod your head at me if you're ready. You're looking at me like, Dean, this is going to make me uncomfortable. That's good. <laughs> All right? Let's take a few minutes. Let's pray together. I pray that um, we as your children are strengthened in the inner man. Pray, God, we surrender. We give you authority. We cannot win this battle. You will not lose this battle. So God, we lean into your strength as much as humanly possible with an awareness of who it is we're fighting against, who it is, God, that we are fighting for, who it is that we are fighting with. Thank you for your love for us. In your name we pray. Amen.